Broadcasting live from the Lens Flare Factory, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. And I'm your other host, Seamus Connolly. And today, we are going to be talking about a film I have been so excited to discuss with you, Seamus, since I saw it months ago, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story up for Best Picture this year at the Academy Awards, in addition to a lot of other award nominations. Frankly, not as many as I think it should be up for, Mm. but... Before we get into that, which I am thrilled to talk about, and I'm sure we're going to spend a long time on, because we only have one piece of news, let's let's hit it. Yeah, so the one and only piece of news we have, Amazon just acquired MGM Studios for $8.5 billion. And another another one bites the dust. Yeah, another man. Another major studio is gone, is no more. Swallowed up by money and a will to conglomerate everything into one thing eventually. Yeah. It's weird. I, I'm not a huge fan of stuff like that. I know I there's a lot of... A couple weeks ago, we I was kind of on board with all the like video game studio acquisitions, and this is kind of a, a similar-ish thing to this, but it's so much film history history and so many properties attached to MGM now just like ripe for the taking for everything that Amazon can milk out of it and it's definitely gonna gonna feel very weird and I at least I'll say this I'm glad they got to it before Disney did which is an awful thing to say yeah what a horrible I mean you're not wrong like that isn't actually a, a good thing that Disney just doesn't own another massive part of the market but because Iger said before he left or maybe after he left I don't know he's said it sometime that he's like i would really like to own james bond yeah i remember that 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 was always like a weird like shuddery thing like a super villain thing because it's so casual the way he said it too oh god it's like he was stroking a white cat in a villain chair just like like truly bond villaining it up it's i can't wait for the villain in the next james bond movie to be unions oh those those bad warehousing unions james bond you've got to get in there and break them up oh god um the worst. Blofeld, he's infiltrated he's infiltrated the good the good people of <laughs> of of Amazon. And also Blofeld, he he has hair. He has so much hair. <laughs> um and he has no rocket ships. That's another thing. No about rocket Blofeld. ships at all. His minions make the workers pee in boxes. <laughs> God, horrible. Uh, although th- this is an interesting thing because Eon technically still owns James Bond. They own, like through like 2030 or something. They have oh the uh, the rights to James Bond. Now MGM owns all of the previous films that of of James Bond, and I think they have they maintain the right to distribute all future films going forward, or at least through whatever the contract is. Right, right. But I think the intellectual property of James Bond still belongs to the Brock who of course are Eon. Well, I mean, at least there isn't going to be a John Krasinski miniseries James Bond thing for at least another, you know, eight years. But God knows, I'm sure, like you said, I mean, rich, powerful people recognize the absolute power behind the James Bond brand. I'm sure it will be hard to keep that out of the hands of somebody who just wants to, again, swallow it up. Oh, yeah. And I absolutely think... You know, I th- Bond is a big part of this. It's not 
we there's no way around it i mean mm-hmm. uh, there's also like what else uh does mgm own they've got rocky they've got pink panther less big franchises like like legally blonde or stargate or robocop right. oh stargate yeah hell yeah i mean stargate's got so much attached to that i mean i'm only a big fan of that original movie but there's so much attached to that stargate brand yeah they also own orion you and i were excited oh, a few years yeah. ago to start seeing orion uh movies in front of stuff and uh wait so M- mgm owns orion yeah so and amazon owns orion amazon owns orion now which Ugh, is awful shudder again oh, i love orion Stupid. i know and then uh they also own united artists which is a thing we're going to be talking about a little later during our pop culture reference yeah it only gets it only gets worse i suppose but we'll we'll get there but yeah this is bad this is bad news i'm sad about it <laughs> but at the same time I, this is such an awful thing to say. I would rather Amazon own it than Disney, which is so bad. Well, when Disney eventually buys Amazon and we're all under, in one big happy family, it won't matter. Oh, sorry. When I'm f- enlisted in the Disney Corps and you're, <laughs> you're, you're fighting in the power loader suit from Aliens yeah. for Jeff Bezos, <laughs> brother against brother. Oh, single tear shed. My God. It's, Coming to cinemas 2049, it's Hostile Takeover. (laughs) Oh my god. Well, time to start writing a movie, Garrett. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think there's not much more to say about that one until we get to our pop culture reference, of course. So, West Side Story? Let's do it. I, I think we have a lot to say here. This week's main segment is Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, a film that we've actually been talking about on this show for a very long time, like since it's been announced, and it's finally come full circle to us now about to, I mean, no real spoilers here, praise this movie to no end. So I would love to hear, I let, let, let me hear your general thoughts. I know this was a rec center for you initially, and... Honestly, I, I remember recently hearing that again for the first time from a couple weeks back and just the absolute shock in my voice of you saying how good this movie is and your genuine, genuine review of it is probably like the exact same energy that we're bringing to this main segment right now. I think so. And I enjoyed, um, not to get ahead of myself, watching it with you last night and the parts I did, seeing you have the same reaction that I had, the same mm-hmm. excitement that I had when I first watched it, because you mentioned all the way back when they announced this movie when they released the first trailer we talked about this and how we thought it was a terrible idea (laughs) and that why it's like remaking 2001 or lawrence of arabia why touch it and we didn't trust spielberg to to do what he's done because it's an impossible task i was gonna say that's not ours or anyone else's fault for having that doubt about this movie like the, it, it's insane the absolute home run this movie is with the like the hand it was dealt as a remake of a classic like there's no way it should have been this good yeah so i mean i wanted to rec center it to you live on air back then because i knew how hesitant both of us were and how skeptical both of us were so that when i saw it and was blown away by it i wanted you to hear 
you know, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to get your live reaction on air to that realization. And I'm glad it lived up to the hype that I created for you. Yeah, what boy did it live up to that hype, man. It, my God, what an absolute great movie. I would, I don't know if I would say, I think you might have said this, like, maybe watch this over the original in some cases. Like, it is, it is really good. It's really good. I'm, okay. One of our big concerns with the original trailer was this idea that it was going to rely solely on iconography from the original film. That recreating imagery mm-hmm. from the original film, like Beauty and the Beast, you know, is sure, um, yeah, an yeah. example that I would bring up. Obviously, I thought this movie was going to be better than the Emma Watson Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> but that same principle applies, I think. And that the trailer really relies on that imagery because they're selling you nostalgia. Because that's all we deal in now is yeah. Nostalgia. That's that's the capital that that films have to get you into cinemas. Now the difference between you know nostalgia for uh, the Sam Raimi Spider Man trilogy and difference between nostalgia and the difference between nostalgia for uh, the 1961 <laughs> Best Picture Award winner West Side Story, I think are a little different. Yeah, in definitely. That, like, the the demographics they're catering to. But you and I were discussing last night that I think this film doesn't feel like a remake it feels like an adaptation of the sage musical it doesn't feel like it's actually that conscious of the film that came before it despite what the trailer might have led both of us to believe it's entirely its own thing it's more than happy to break structurally with that original film which we'll talk about more in spoilers and like it's you said something last night which really resonated with me which is i didn't even know this was on the table i didn't know we could be doing this <laughs> I, but that's exactly my attitude for the entire time that i had thought about this movie until you told me how good it was was just so beaten down by the disney remakes and the things that were just iconography and just a, a soulless gesture and it just goes to show that is if you can like care enough to make your audience care and not just churn things out for the sake of you know getting tickets sold or whatever it's 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 incredible this movie is truly gonna go down in like modern film history as like maybe god help us hopefully a spark in the ass of getting more spectacular events back on screen as movies and not just another you know another thor or another whatever coming down the pike that we can just make money for agreed and i think speaking more directly to your idea of this over the original too this appeals so directly to modern sensibilities Mm -hmm. i I was actually really shocked by how modern it felt because Spielberg, as a filmmaker for the last 15 years, I would say at least, has felt to me like he kind of lost his spark. And I don't want to Mm -hmm. kick Spielberg. He still made some pretty good movies since then. But like something like Ready Player One, uh, a movie where that felt the most like he was trying to appeal to modern sensibilities is so hollow and and lifeless yeah and so it's the comparison between that story and this one obviously are very different in terms of their structure in terms of the kind of film they are Mm -hmm. in terms of their quality but at the core of this new west side story is a really really strong script written by tony cook who he he wrote angels in america he's a playwright he also wrote spielberg's munich and lincoln films i'm not wild about Mm. and especially lincoln 
I think I think Munich is more impressive for the craft on display than the actual story being told. I mean, not that it's not compelling. Have you seen Munich, Seamus? I, I have not, but you've definitely pitched it to me before. I mean, like, it's good. I think you should watch Munich because I think that's probably the best movie Spielberg made until this one, you know, like recently. And so I think that's the thing that really is interesting to me about, and we'll talk about specific differences when we get into spoilers again, that this film is shot like it was made today. It's not shot, even In the Heights, I think, suffered a little bit, even though there were things in that In the Heights did that were cool. It still shot it just like a movie musical, like, it's got the wide shots that yeah, you can let sure. the dancing play out in, and they don't cut a whole bunch except to the beat. As a, Spielberg shot this like an action movie. And Spielberg's it, one of the great living action directors, so that makes sense. Not that he only makes action films. No, but the way it's shot, the absolute creativity behind everything in this movie, like, moments of just, like, technical work in the, the film itself that had me very taken aback and so pleasantly surprised by everything that you know, he was able to fit in there and make work in a way that, like you were kind of saying about In the Heights, distinguishes it so much versus any other kind of modern movie musical that you can come up with right now. I think the performances in this, with one notable exception, are also <laughs> mind-boggling because you and I were talking about the logistics of the complexity of the craft at play mm. in this film last night while we were watching it, that Spielberg has these... And Janusz Kaminski, who is his his cinematographer on this film, is just... He's throwing everything he's got on mm. screen. It is incredible. It blows my mind, the work that's been done in this film. Because it also... I was... I was hesitant even going into this film about the visual style because we mentioned Lens Flare Factory up top. <laughs> yeah. And because out of context in the trailer, again, it didn't like work for me. But then you get here, it's in text, in the rhythm of the film. It works so well. It's oh, yeah. gorgeous. It it's a all, gorgeous, gorgeous film. It fits right into place when you see it all in action together. And it truly is it's so good looking. Like, very, very well done. Completely agree. And those big shots that we were talking about where, again, fit seamlessly into the movie. You don't notice that, oh, it's a one you know. Yeah, Spielberg's totally. famous for his wonders, of course, because they're such an efficient way of staging a scene, and he's so good at moving the camera and moving the yeah. blocking around to keep things interesting and to basically make one shot into ten. And the precision required from these actors, most of whom come from Broadway, so it makes sense that they would be able to do it, mm -hmm. I can't fathom. Because, again, you and I were talking about when we're working on, like, student films, and we've got one Dana Dolly shot that we take eight takes to get right. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. We just, we just, and it's just you're off by a millimeter and you're like, cut, okay, reset. You've got 50 dancers and dialogue pieces and exact timing and blocking and pacing that you have to figure out and hit on your mark every time. And every shot is like that. I, I yeah. talk about how you and I have talked about how in The Godfather, every shot is its own story. Oh, yeah. And that's completely true in this film as well. That in a microcosm, you can understand the power dynamics at play, the, the evolution of what's going on, what's happening inside a character's mind, all through each individual shot. That, like, Spielberg is operating on that level and his team, I want to say, because... 
because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I can't even imagine all of the work that went into this. I mean, the costume design is incredible. The production design is incredible. And those two things, they sell the movie. They are the re- part of the reason it works so well because you can have all the gorgeous cinematography you want, but if you're shooting something that looks ugly, <laughs> it yeah, doesn't, no, and I, it's not cohesive. I totally get it, man. It's, 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 stunning looking truly in the way that it's uh, you know all the, the the colors garrett the colors in this movie they're back my god i i do miss colors in movies it's for sure and i you <sighs> know I, I i i just saw i know you haven't seen it yet but i did just see the batman the other day as well and though that movie was incredible and i i was a big big fan um, it was it was either red or it was like Chicago nighttime orange streetlight color, and that was like oh it sure for the whole time. Yeah. Which I mean, it fit the aesthetic insanely well. But this West Side Story was like fireworks. It was like an explosion on screen. It was incredible. It's a magic trick. Is what it is, this yeah. film. Movie magic, Garrett. It is movie magic. Even the dresses. The way the oh, dresses yeah, sound dude. and move in this. Like, because there's the great uh, scene at the beginning where Anita and Maria are getting ready for the dance. And they're just kind of, like, kind of moving their dresses around as they move through the mm-hmm. apartment. I could just watch that for six hours. It's insane. Like, so it's, good. Because they've got the, the again, it's the costume design that's so good. Because they've got these, I'm sure there's a word for it that I don't know. Like, the ruffles underneath the, mm-hmm. the outside skirt of the dress. It's, like, yellow and red and just popping in every single frame that it's in. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. It's gorgeous. I mean, I think it's it's complicated because I'm less worried about spoilers. Everybody knows what this story is. Right. And how yeah, it ends yeah. and all of that. I think the reason I want to move into spoilers is not because of plot reasons. It's that I want people to experience and be surprised by this film with the unbridled joy that I was. And that so I, I was, truly. I, I feel like we should, before we talk about specific numbers, specific yeah, totally. moments, we should probably just mark spoilers. We can wrap up here first, though. Yeah, wrapping up wrapping up non-spoiler stuff, it was just such a treat. It is incredible that you can get that caliber of like brand new film on your tv right now i it was so good i I usually try in my head to think about like what would this have been like in the theaters and i'm sure it was spectacular of course with all the big speakers and giant screen but i was just like wide-eyed for two and a half hours on your couch just it incredible love lovely film here and i hope that it gets uh as much recognition as it deserves by the time award season is through here i really would like to see it with a crowd that's oh man that would be electric Ooh, that would be so good it because it's electric again like you said sitting watching it on tv but it's a film i don't know the last time i saw a movie where i was watching it at home and i was like this was made for a theater oh yeah because it's it's it, we don't make movies for theaters anymore we don't we make them with home video in mind and i'm not saying that's a bad thing because that's the way most people consume mm-hmm. movies now we uh, filmmaking should adapt over time and it's not like spielberg shot this like a 60s musical he shot it like a 2022 musical but he also didn't shoot it like anybody else is shooting musicals he shot it the way steven spielberg yeah shoots musicals mm. so it just felt so refreshing when i when i was watching it I, I i was catching up i had to leave during part of it and i was catching up today 
rewatching the part that I missed with you, and I was like, this belongs on a 50-foot screen. It just does. It's clear that that was the vision that the filmmaker had, because Spielberg comes from a time Mm -hmm. when that was the way you shot movies, and he's making the kind of movie where you have to think that way. Again, the only time I've ever seen the original West Side Story was I've seen it once. I saw it on 70 millimeter at the Music Box Theater, and everybody clapped at the end of every musical number like it was live performance. <laughs> that energy, man. I How many snaps from that audience were going off during that Ooh. movie? I can't yeah. imagine. So I think this is a revelation of a film. I think if you haven't seen it, please go do so immediately. It's on HBO Max and Disney Plus right now uh, at, at the time of our release here. I think it will probably not do as well at the Academy Awards as it deserves to. I mean, there are a lot of other really great films out this year that we'll talk about probably another time on this show. But now it's yeah. time to talk about Officer Krupke, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you wanna you wanna talk about Officer Krupke? Or uh, yeah, let's let's spoilers it here. Let's get let's get into the let's get into it, man. So Seamus, I want to talk about Ansel Elgort. Oh, we're just going. Yeah, let's. I mean, we might. There's I, an elephant in the room. We should probably get in here for as because I want to talk about the performances and how great they are. And I need to talk about first. I need to talk about the fact that he's a bad dude and that yes. sucks. And that also it's a very they were in a very weird position with this movie. And I do wonder how it impacted its box office i don't think it impacted very much but it's Mm. still something to consider the fact that they shot this movie edited this movie had this movie ready to go out the pandemic happens ansel elgort all this really bad stuff comes out about him and the movie when they are finally ready to release it and start marketing it again really is trying to hide the fact that ansel elgort's the male lead of this movie Well, honestly, if you were asking me, his performance is honestly kind of hiding that he's the lead in this movie. So I I don't even think I don't even think that the trailers are to blame here, man. I'm going to remember this movie fondly for probably forever. And it's not because of anything that Tony does in this movie. It's not that he's bad. Because I don't think he's, he can technically sing, he can technically dance. Sure, um, sure. He can technically act. I, I think he's a lot better at the broad gesture stuff than he is at the intimate moments, which mm-hmm. is unfortunate because that's not... Tony's a very interior character, especially this version of Tony. Again, the way that they have adapted and expanded this film, they have made... Because the strongest character, I think, in West Side Story has always always been Anita. I don't think there's like ever that's not even a contest. I don't think Rita Moreno won an Academy Award for playing her back in 1961, you know. Yeah, absolutely. She's an icon for a reason. And Tony and Maria, I think are so they're Romeo and Juliet. They're so one-dimensional in the original, yeah. which is not really I don't really fault the original for that, but it is true. And in this they're like characters. Tony's got like a backstory and a ethos and a motivation that's different than just like I'm in love and Maria same thing Maria they've really taken her and put her at odds with Bernardo which helps flesh out Mm. his character in a way that's really engaging and interesting and I I am so happy with the writing on the page that it really sucks that Elgore just can't sell it (laughs) because when he's when he's fighting with with Riff over the gun, he's good at that. When he's running streetcar named Desire style through the streets, <laughs> um, he's good at that. It's just that like a spe- when he finds out 
quote that Maria died. I think you would like you and I like looked at each other <laughs> yeah, and we're yeah, like, yeah. "Oh, that's rough." Because everybody else in this movie is perfect. They are perfect. Yeah, dude. My God, all of these Broadway veterans just like absolutely slaying Ansel Elgort like through everything. It is. It, it highlights that he is like has those really important moments that fall flat for him. But it also shows just how incredible all of the supporting cast in this movie is. Yeah, I mean, Rachel Zegler, who is super young, like fresh out of high school, super young, it does an amazing job in this film. She's oh, Maria. Yeah. She should have been nominated for an Oscar as far as I'm concerned because I, she is instantly enchanting. She is real. She can sing. She can dance. She's really good at showing the, again, like what's going on internally inside mm-hmm. Maria and the, in the way that Elgort falls down on that end of it with Tony. And then, I mean, the uh, the rest of the cast, of course. Ariana DeBose is the only person nominated for acting for this film for Anita, who, I mean, I think she should have a good shot at it. I mean, she was in, she was great in this. I think she's the best performance in this in a field of great performances. Yeah, my God. You, Raw emotion insane talent on the on the uh, highlights of her song and dance performances and an absolute again it just like this icon attitude of just total badass in so much of everything and you have to go from America right like uh, this mm-hmm. is the land of promise I'm so happy to be here it doesn't matter that I'm oppressed it doesn't or not that it doesn't matter but that like I'm okay with with dealing with the hardships and the reality of being a Puerto Rican woman in New York City in 1957 because Mm. I believe in something greater. I believe in a future. I believe in what, you know, to, in like 24 hours, that character has to swing all the way around to, you really think I want to be here in this awful place that's taken everything from me. Yeah, good God. Gut-wrenching, truly. That is a, that's a big swing and she pulls it off. I I, I mean, it's the same thing with Rita Moreno 60 years ago go pulling it off Mm -hmm. that it's a really difficult character to to play and that the entire movie really hinges on her like that's the thing that's the thing that's that's kind of nice about the fact that Ansel Elgort's Tony is the fact that in a lot of ways Tony is like the least pivotal character (laughs) in the film to get right of the five leads right sure yeah because you've got David Alvarez and Mike Faced are playing Bernardo and Riff respectively both of them just just killing it absolutely that talk about where's the nominations I mean come on they were they were just absolutely incredible because they're the main conflict of the film they're the one they're the dumb macho guys who are i mean and i think both of them do a really good job showing the complexities of their respective characters and again this new screenplay really fleshing out the realities of what it would be like to be a lower class person on the west side in this time period you and i noted that in the opening it you know you have the classic jets versus sharks silent just blood bloodbath yeah, fight yeah. going on like the dance with the snapping and everything and when the when the cops come and break it up and it's Corey Stoll as the lieutenant oh, and yeah, yeah. Brian Darcy James's officer 
drop key, they they do the thing where we start with the Puerto Ricans and we show the how unfairly they're treated and how the cops seem to be like on the side of the jets when the sharks are all still there mm-hmm. and are re- they're really they're really bad to them and then when the when the sharks get out of there and they have their moment where they stand up to the cops and sing their and sing their song and then leave then it immediately turns on a dime and it's like oh okay but now i'm here to kick you guys yeah so like that the the privileges are in the correct order of like yeah he's gonna target the the poor puerto rican kids and then he's gonna turn on the poor irish kids you know uh, and the polish kids and all the other nationalities that comprise the jets there's a couple Italians in there, I think. Yeah. It's New York, hey! And, but it's still showing that they both have... Like, a lot of time is devoted to Riff. And yeah, what definitely. makes that character the way he is, like, breaking down... You hear about his father. You hear about what that he really hasn't had a fair shake his entire life. Mm-hmm what drives him to you it's implied what drives him to his violent tendencies that what drives him this xenophobic racist behavior is fueled by a desire for control and there's a lot of back and forth between maria and tony in the film about that like tony defends him and maria's yeah. like but that doesn't excuse his behavior but it's the it's also similar to bernardo not in this exact same way but that bernardo thinks he's standing up for his sister's honor or whatever when really he's standing he's just uh projecting the same yeah. conflict that he has onto her and onto tony yeah it's Again, just, just writing is incredible so it, good just the core motivations of just like bitter anger in in all of these characters that are i mean the whole movie is more or less about like them trying to avoid a rumble that is never going to be avoided because that's just what they they want to stab each other to death more or less because there's nothing else that they know and my god this movie just nails these i I mean again just nothing but love to these actors who who brought an entire new flavor and kind of life to this story and these characters and made a a grown man cry alone in a dorm room watching a a story that he knew (laughs) i know what was gonna happen in this movie but I just broke down because these it's just the insane emotionality of it all was just too much for me. And the film really is alive. I think that's a good word oh, yeah. for it. In a way I've not seen in a long time. And I mean, I don't want to sound like a downer or anything, but maybe not going to see again something of this caliber for a long time. Like it. <sighs> I can only I pray that this is just like unlocked a door of of this kind of quality. But that's the I don't thing know. that it, it we I don't want us to sound like old men complaining on a podcast because <laughs> we're not because we are Garrett. That this turn in the cultural consciousness because this movie did terribly, mm. and I think part of that is that it wasn't marketed well. I think part of that is that the pandemic was still impact. Like people were going to see Spider Man, but they were only going to see Spider Man. You know, all of a sudden though, there's been this change in public opinion that like Spielberg for some reason is some kind of art filmmaker Mm. that West Side Story is some kind of like art film Spielberg is the great populist director 
I was going to say, the he way you made... said it before, it's an action. It's shot and made like an action uh-huh. movie. And musicals are a populist art form. Like, yeah. most people look down on musicals. I don't. You don't. Of course not. But I, for historically, I mean, it obviously the original one best picture. So it's not like the Academy necessarily does either. But I think there are a lot of people that think, well, that's a musical. You know, that's not like real storytelling. That's not real filmmaking. Mm. It's, it's, it's popcorn. And the fact that we've had this cultural shift to the point that like there just used to be a baseline level of of craftsmanship and showmanship Mm -hmm. that people like spielberg as populist filmmakers were expected to have that has largely disappeared from the blockbuster and i think that has a lot to do with the corporatization and assembly line nature of a lot of our biggest franchises and the fact that all of our blockbusters seemingly are franchises Mm -hmm. because you look at you you get the odd you get the odd jewel you know you think about knives out as a i think that that is an incredibly well-crafted film that still definitely is like it's a celebrity studded whodunit it's definitely that's a crowd pleaser that oh, yeah. movie it's not high art it's a great movie i love it but i think it feels similar in that way to this and it's it's just oh wow we can still do movies this way and we just like choose not to and you know maybe there is some kind of link between something like west side story and the dna of it as that inherently showmanship forward spectacle forward kind of idea it's flashy this movie is oh, flashy 100 it, it is it is flashy for sure and and i mean I'm hoping that that kind of energy, you know, proving that worth on screen for a movie is is something that can be adopted more. But you're not wrong when you say that everything that we know and love is now a franchise, you know, franchised out a thousand times over. Just trying to, you know, get the next version of it out before there can be much of that positive wild card live energy that something like this does. Seamus, I wasn't there when you watched this part, and I wish I had been because. I had to leave like 10 minutes before it. If I say the puddle shot, do you know what I'm talking My about? My man. Wait, you weren't there for that? Did, was I just no, talking I was, to myself? No, I'd already left by that point. Apparently just out loud I was talking about that shot then because that blew me away. I loved that. Ah, oh, so good. During Maria, for those of you who might not remember, Tony is, I mean, I think that whole sequence is incredibly McCoy. We, we're going to talk about the musical sequences like I think next. Sure, yeah. Uh, number by number. But when he's in the what is would you call that an alley what would you call the it's, it's like the back streets or whatever it's like kind of like an yeah, alley where where tony is looking for maria he's searching for maria he's calling out to her and he comes down to a puddle and the, and the camera comes from in front of him and goes up and looks down and as he steps into the puddle the ripples go every which way and they bounce beautifully and the light oh. slowly rotates below him as he sings up to the heavens calling for his Juliet and it is it's poetry one of the most beautiful shots I've ever seen like it's insane it's so good that that you could just say the puddle shot and I'm like Oh, baby, I know what you're talking about. That is, it's, it's cinema. It is cinema, Garrett. Truly and it, honestly, it's so really. good. It's gorgeous. And I, I like that number a lot. I like when you have the, the custodian give him a funny look when he's walking through. <laughs> yeah. All the lights coming on around him as they turn on the basketball court lights, but it feels so much larger than, mm. than life. I, I think that is, you and I discussed this last night, that it feels like the first half hour of this movie, while being incredible 
incredibly well executed, is almost intentionally trying to mimic the look of the original a little bit more. That it's it's it feels like it's lit more like the original. The color palette isn't the same, but it feels very familiar West Side Story, yeah, I, even I, though it's insane and impressive. I mean, and there are still flourishes in that that are unique to this film. I, again, I think I don't think Spielberg is is in any sense just remaking this. You know, like we when Riff throws the brick at the end of Jet Song and then it cuts to Tony catching the can. Oh, so good. So good. Such a match cut. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a, I brought up Lawrence of Arabia earlier. It reminds me of the Lawrence of Arabia cut, honestly, like that famous cut of him blowing out the match to the desert. It's not that, it's not that goosebump inducing, but it's similar (laughs) in the the feeling it produces. But I think the turning point of this movie is the dance. I feel like that the shot where it's following uh, all of the sharks as they arrive at the Mm -hmm. the dance in the hallway, and then they open the doors, and you've got all of these dancers going on and on, and the camera's moving like you can't even believe a camera can move, and you've got all of these little vignettes of the different characters, those different side characters are still being established, interacting with each other, and Krupke's there and everything. I think that is like almost like the, it feels to me like that's the mission statement of the film. It's like, oh, this is what we're doing now. By the way, <laughs> if you weren't paying attention, and every shot after this is that caliber, and not, again, not to say I'm not discrediting the f- the the first thirty minutes of the film as because I mean the first shot alone is this t- insane long take. Oh yeah, through the through the rubble and ruins and all that is 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 very in- incredibly well done for sure. But you know, again, at the dance scene right after that, we have like the under the bleachers, the replacement for the like fantasy sequence in the original and it's so oh, it's so beautiful that's where the that's where the lens flare really starts to pop through like the really weird uh, dance lights through the bleachers with all the smoke everywhere and then the effectiveness of then cutting back to that in exact spot and the fantasy lighting and lens flare being so much less pronounced and showing that kind of you know it's still subtle enough to to have that same nod but so incredibly well done and original that it really doesn't slow down after the dance no and I think that was the thing that was insane to me is that you would just get these I'd be like oh this is like the best part of the movie and it'd be like back to back musical numbers like it goes almost straight from america to g officer krupke which i think are two of the standout numbers in in west side story as a whole but specifically in this one oh yeah because again spielberg will never be beat i think when it comes to blocking and the intricacy of his Mm -hmm. blocking and that in a way that we haven't seen in a really long time because it's not only the the way he moves the camera and the way that he can hold it for a really long time it takes it Anybody can do a long cut, Mm. you know, a long take. It's the fact that Spielberg frames so precisely, so theatrically. And Maria's introduction, you and I were talking about last night, where that is pure iconography Mm -hmm. of it's down, it's the long lens down through all the clotheslines. Maria's out on the fire escape. There is a spotlight on her just a in that white dress. And you're like, that's Maria. There's no question about that <laughs> yeah. being Maria. Oh, yeah. And she, often throughout the film, she is spotlit in this, I was in gonna this say, like, virginal white dress that she's always wearing. Like perpetually spotlit with that halo of that glow around her the whole time. I mean, obviously, that's totally perfect for what's happening there. But it's, again, subtle enough that you can just appreciate it as part of the 
painting that is this movie or you know when you can notice it in the times you do it's just it's such a good accent on everything that it really hits the spot even during the tonight number where again Spielberg finds such an interesting way the idea of a fire escape and then he finds 15 different playful ways yes. to shoot through oh a fire God. escape there's a there's a bit where Tony's standing out on the scaffolding and, and Maria's looking down at him and you can just see it's a perfect circle with her silhouette in it on the building behind her and it doesn't even matter like it doesn't break the <laughs> illusion at all that's a light that's a hot light on her yeah like i'm at the theater seeing this film and the spell of the movie is so intoxicating that it doesn't matter yeah it's all just it flows it ebbs and flows together that it's it's the perfect it's the perfect way to do this movie as it stands as steven spielberg's west side story it's just everything that could have been done right pretty much is in honor to the show and the original movie and in the fact that it is again entirely can stand on its own for what it is right now it's just it's skillfully done and you and i were discussing comparing it to the original movie the two numbers that we discussed specifically last night were two of my favorite numbers from the show like i just said america and g officer krupke and how entirely differently they're approached because in the i mean america is the standout scene in the original i would argue it's it's honestly yeah it is it, it, it was always my favorite part and it's got great dancing and great choreography and the performances are electric and it's just fun and energetic and intense Mm-hmm. and and a little sexually charged and it's, it's, it's still just... like also like lots of humor in that one too all the back and forth with the lyrics mm-hmm. are is just it's fantastic but in the original i mean that scene's mostly again like i was saying it's a standard movie musical not standard at all but it's the way you shot an old movie musical yeah. which was you've got these wide shots so you can see everybody head to toe the dancing is fully in frame it's it's at eye level approximately yeah they, and... they trap them all on the roof and they have a incredible Incredible dance number, granted, but... And you let it all play out. And, and Krupke's the same way, except you've got the Jets out on the sidewalk mm-hmm, outside mm-hmm. the drugstore. Same exact kind of thing. And those are great. The the, the choreography in those is great. The, the camera work in those is great. But then you get to this, and Spielberg says, but what if America was the whole neighborhood? <laughs> oh, so and, good. And you were just moving through it, and people were coming in and going out as it happened, and they were, dan- and they were dancing and singing and jumping and running and they were also doing their daily activities i mean uh, one of the best shots in this movie i think is like the shot where anita's pulling the laundry and the women are singing out their windows Mm -hmm. and as she pulls the laundry to the rhythm because everything in this movie is to the rhythm of the song from the spritzing on the mirrors during i feel pretty to the honking of the cabs in any random musical number including america the clothes come and block whoever isn't singing at that moment with exact precision oh it's so sharp when they do that it's 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 so well done i i love the number in this is it's so big and flashy like you said they've got like the kids come in and dance and you know the people in the stores and it's it's just such good high energy and everyone is wearing the most beautiful dress and outfit that i've ever seen and my god so good wild it's absolutely wild then we get to officer krupke and it's you know a lot more confined and prop oriented than the original one out on the sidewalk there i guess there was still plenty of 
like props in the in the original, but this is a little more elaborate for sure. I mean, it's again, it's it's like they gave, and I don't want to again, I don't want to just credit Spielberg because when I say Spielberg, what we're really referring to is a team of dozens, if not hundreds, of people that all had amazing ideas for mm, how course, the choreography worked and how the camera worked and the blocking and the performances and whatever. But it's like we gave you three benches. What can you do with it? And, <laughs> and the they answer did everything. Is everything. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> I, I especially love where when he goes to the therapist, it goes to the therapist in quotes, and they prop one of the benches yeah. up on the other bench, and then they slide. The, they don't just put the law book at the top of it to be the pillow. They slide it up the already inclined yeah. bench so that then one of the other jets can catch it before the guy puts his head down. Incredible. Again, I, we're just going to keep fawning over how technically perfect these numbers are, but this one specifically too, just the tossing and catching, like you're saying, just the the gravity being used and the momentum of all of these objects to just keep this flowing song going. Because, you know, that one is, again, it's a fast-paced, high-energy, super, you know, full of humor and big laughs, lots of jokes and voices, but they're just like, oh, I mean, I, it is ballet that is exactly what it is it is the the perfect fluid motion of the ballet of their bit in this police station yeah that sequence is it's remarkable because i think it shows the true creativity on display because it's even with the simplest tools at your disposal i mean obviously they had they could do whatever they want they could stage mm-hmm. it wherever they want that the creativity and craftsmanship can create what i think is one of the most memorable sequences in this film for what is i mean it's an important song to understand the mindset of the Jets, but mm-hmm. there's no lead characters in that in that number. It's not necessarily important to the plot or even the overall message of the film in it like other ways are established, you know, just as well. But it's just a rip roaring good time. It's it's so good. It's such a fun time in there. And I, I again I always loved the original Officer Krupke, but it's again fireworks what they can do with just like stacks of papers in in terms of the showmanship of the and space just falling around yes! them as they talk <sighs> so good so good it's beautiful it's a it's a beautiful sequence and oh let's talk about other ones i guess i don't want to get hung <laughs> sure. up on on Krupke here because you i mean we've got the sad ones and the slow ones the one the ones that you skip on your shuffling the album probably <laughs> yeah, sure. Because you've got One Hand, One Heart, which is the love theme right, in, the, yes. in the mission, which is, I think, an incredible... Again, you've get, I, you get these, like, purples and pinks mm. on their faces through the stained glass on Tony and Maria that I don't see color like that in films very much anymore. Not really, no. It's technicolor, in, in a yeah. way. like It's like when they used to try to showcase... Look how pink pink can be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. And man, how pink was that pink? My God. It was pretty pink. Oh, man. And I also want to shout out that uh, number as, and definitely this is fully the heavy lifting of the harmonies that they can put together with that song. But, uh, you know, Ansel Elgort ain't, ain't too bad in that one. And again, that is definitely him being carried. But I just... think that there just isn't the life in his performance. That's, yeah. the part, that's part of it. Again, he's technically singing the song. He's technically hitting the dance moves. It's just, I don't feel it from him the way I feel it from everybody else. And I don't, I genuinely don't think it has anything to do with the fact that I know things about him outside of his acting. No. I think it's just that. Exactly. Yeah, it's his he performance. He doesn't mesh with the yeah. with the rest of this movie. As Again, I agree he's fine in that scene. You know, that works. Yeah. 
You've also got, they give somewhere to, oh, we haven't even talked about Rita Moreno. Yeah, she's she's up in here. She's Doc's widow, which I think that's a really great change over. Yeah, totally interesting. I was skeptical when I was in the theater and I saw that because I was like, oh, this feels a little fan servicey, you know, like, yeah, like I get it. She's from the original guys, you know, <laughs> you know, but I mean, she um, still is like incredible as ever. I mean, she, she killed it. She's great. And it also, it deepens the theme. It deepens yeah. the themes of the film because not only does giving doc a Puerto Rican wife add a very obvious mirror mm. to the love story between Tony and Maria, but that it changes the dynamic that the Jets have with the shop and with Tony, and that Tony is already kind of a foot in both worlds yeah. even before he meets Maria. And then when specifically when you get to somewhere, that song isn't it, it goes from being about Tony and Maria, as it's staged in mm-hmm. the original film, as it's staged in the musical, to being about everyone. It's about it's about her mourning the past she had with her husband. It's about Anita's mourning mm. uh over her over her partner, um, who I mean Corey Stoll has there he kills it in that kitchen scene where he's interrogating Maria and Anita. Yeah. And she asks if she could go and he's like goes, I guess you're not his widow or anything, which is just Ooh. awful. Oh, it's so, disgusting. Such a gut punch. Ugh. But that somewhere is this perfect little thematic bow on all of the storylines running mm. running through the film. And I think that, that it really hammers that home especially to have somebody with the gravitas of Rita Moreno come in and sing it. I do wish, and it worked for me a little better this time, uh, I think there are some of the fades that are a little long between the characters, and it feels a little like, okay, movie, like, I I already get it, like, I get (laughs) this this is the sad part, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Also, oh, this is just, it's a thing that I thought the first time, and it's a thing that I thought this time, too, even though I'd forgotten that I thought it the first time, there is one part where there's a dialogue break in one hand, one heart, and then they go back to singing, and the focus of the shot is on Maria, but Tony starts singing right, like, in a, in a deeper register that is louder than Maria's, so at first it looks like Maria is singing and Tony's <laughs> voice is coming out. I did not notice that, but now I really want you to point out that moment. Cool, because I'm glad I'm glad you didn't, because it really it that took me out of it both distracted times. Distracted you super hard. <laughs> but yeah, uh, somewhere I'm trying to think of the other. What are the other? Stay cool, boy. Oh, was fantastic! Great, one it, of my favorites, where they're tossing the gun around the like banged up pier over the water, and the fact that they have this interact th- this interaction between Riff and Tony, which sells. Mm. Their dynamic, like, right before that number, they have this weird little, like, joking exchange where it, it, everything in their entire dynamic is there and sold, and you can tell that these guys have been friends forever, but you can also see the friction between them, Mm -hmm. where Tony says something about, well, Batman, I didn't know you were carrying heaters now, or whatever, and Riff is like, well, I don't have magic powers like you, Superman, so I've got to stay strapped. Right, yeah. And it's, because it's funny. And you can tell that they're joking around with each other, but it's also tense. 
and yeah, weird. There's like and... some weird truth jab in both of those, like back and forth. But they're uh-huh. oh, it's so good. Again, a great script, but really great. And I, it's Mike faced delivering the magic powers like you Superman line that really sells that exchange. I think like that really hits right there. That's a great number. They're all great numbers. There's not a bad number in the in the movie. Yeah. So. I mean, we we did, I think, briefly talk about, I don't know if we talked about it on air, the I feel pretty weird structure in there. Let's talk but, about that. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we? Because it's like a smash cut from double murder to <laughs> I feel pretty. <laughs> right. Well, it's in, in the original film, they they move it to before the rumble, mm-hmm. which I think for that film was definitely the right decision. Oh yeah, definitely. And I I don't know how to feel about its placement of this because in the stage musical it's in the same place it is in this film. And it's Sondheim and Bernstein put that there because they thought like they were trying to hammer home this irony of things everybody's lives just some of them literally ended, but everybody's lives just ended. Yeah. And, and she's just she has no idea. She's got not a care in yeah. the world. Dancing She's like, around. oh, there's a boy and he likes me and I'm so pretty and I'm just having a great yeah. time at, at cleaning up at Gimbal's here. Gimbal's. And Sondheim really wishes that that were wished that that weren't in the musical. He wished yeah. he'd cut it entirely because he doesn't think that the irony plays and he thinks it's a weird tonal shift and he tried to convince Spielberg to cut it. <laughs> He's um, like no dice. No, it, it was apparently what I read. I grain of salt with this, obviously, is that it was Kushner that was like, no, it has oh. to stay in. Like Spielberg was even like, oh, maybe I guess we can talk about it. And then Kushner was like, no, I feel pretty stays. And granted, the end of that sequence where um, Chino shows up and like shatters that illusion she has, like, is genuinely very effective and like really dark and well done there. And I can kind of understand that that's probably more of the point they wanted to to do there. But I can I could totally see that just being gone more or less if if they if they went that route. I mean, I love I love it in this film. I don't know if the irony really works, um, but I love it in here because it's some of the best blocking I think in the entire. Like, oh, it's so all the, the mirrors and the that the oh. mannequins that are part of the choreography and yeah, it's very well done. Again, like you said, not a not a single miss on on these on these songs. I was just thinking about this is completely unrelated. The shot where Anita leaves the apartment to go to Doc's towards the end of the film. Mm-hmm. And it's shooting her from the staircase through the the slats on the railing, and she's perfectly framed. And then she come in, and the camera pulls back a little bit as she comes up and leans on the railing to cry. And the precision Ugh. of that shot, and but this, but the simultaneous simplicity of it, it and I think that so that good. is so indicative of the, the, specifically the I'm so pretty scene. Is that a lot of that? Those shots are there. There's nothing to them really, other than to move the camera. But to see it the way that they see it, and to know where to put it, and to know how to just do it. So good. I want to watch this movie again. I think. Yeah, I I said to you last night, and I meant it. That had I not had this, has been uh, full transparency to the listeners at home. Some of the busiest and weirdest <laughs> weeks of my life these the past month. 
And had I not had such a busy schedule since they put this on at the beginning of March, I think for the last two weeks straight, I would have just been <laughs> watching it on oh, repeat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. For any number of reasons, you you could just put it on and mute it and just look at how pretty it is. Or you could just, like, turn on your sound bar and just vibe out to the soundtrack. And it, together, it's just gold, truly. I've got so much more to say that I think I have to cut short. Well, honestly, you know, we're going to be we're going to be talking about the Oscars when they're coming around. I have a feeling that a West Side Story is going to be brought up quite a few more times. So, I know right now we're saying that for the week after the Oscars we just do whatever wins best picture. Maybe though, we just do West Side Story again. Um, we just continue right where we left <laughs> off. I mean, maybe West Side Story will win Best Picture. I don't see that happening, but um, and I, I frankly don't think it should for even from the nominees that they have. Sure, uh, sure. But like, I could, I could talk about. We could do a, a like three hour special on Dude, this one. I think live commentary track where the whole time we're just like, wow, can you just look at that? Jeez, that's it. That's it for two and a half out. <laughs> Yeah, we're like, man, Spielberg can block, huh? You know, <laughs> he's still it, got it, I guess. It's basically just putting the audio of that movie under this podcast again, <laughs> and that's what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to talk about the ending. That's what I think. Yeah, then we can, sure. Then we should wrap up again. The power of the storytelling of I. Everybody knows how the movie ends. Everybody knows how the story ends. We all know, even if we don't know West Side Story, we know Romeo and Juliet, of course. And I still have the glimmer of hope when he sees Rhea running down that street where I'm like, maybe this time he won't get shot. God. Maybe they'll baby driver it out of there and just drive into the sunset. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> what if the post credits of the scene was him, <laughs> was him getting out of the hospital <laughs> and she's standing there waiting in a, you know, I don't know, some kind of car. There aren't really cars in this movie. They're all poor. But, yeah. But she's standing there with the train, t- with the $200 train fare that he asked Valentina for. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that entire last sequence is an incredibly effective, incredibly moving piece of filmmaking. It's suspenseful. It's sad. It's tense. I, I genuinely believed that Maria might kill herself the first time I watched it when she grabs mm. Gino's gun. Could you imagine? My God, what a, that would have been a true twist, but just her devis it's just absolute incredible performance. Just being a devastated, you know, heartbroken young woman just losing everything in this i watching the original you don't realize how short of a span the story actually takes place on but in this the new one i maybe it's just watching it as an older viewer but just the absolute crumbling of the the lives of everybody affected by this throughout like two days three days maybe it's not long and it's and the darkness of the tr- the true darkness of the narrative, because obviously there's murder and and fighting in the original, but like there is a there's a scene in this movie where, where they where all of the jets try to sexually assault Anita. Yeah, yeah, that was I was horrified by that. Like Jesus Christ, it's a, a very effective scene. And it's yeah, oh yeah, really really good. And they set it up really well too, in that they kind of like continue they they, they kind of well it's played as a joke the first time during the officer cross krupke number where there's like a woman there when all the cops leave and she doesn't oh, feel yeah. safe feeling uh being around the jets alone so she locks herself in the cell and it's like ah ha 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 what if they assaulted her huh um <laughs> god yeah and then later the i 
I interpret this right when Anita gets to Doc's when the I don't know what the characters referred to as in the the musical or the or the show or the old movie or the new movie, but the character who wants to join the Jets that's a transgender. Yeah, man. yeah. And when he's leaving to go try to track down Chino and Anita's getting there and he's like, leave. Yeah. Like, you don't want to be here. And I don't interpret that the same way that the Jets are telling her to leave. Like, I think he knows that, like, she's in danger by being there. Yeah, 100%. And not necessarily that kind of danger, but, like, he knows what the Jets are capable of. Uh, even the other, the girlfriends of the, I don't remember their character names either, but, like, once they're pushed out of the drugstore and they're also like don't hurt her like please do not hurt this woman who's just trying to i don't know it's 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 very dark and very well done and the effectiveness of showing the real inhumanity of you know the violence that is is done against the people who aren't even you know involved in the the bs feuds really that are you know crumble all of these people's lives but and i think that's another moment where it's really powerful and and important to have Reed Moreno in mm, the yeah. doc role now because if it was a dude that came up those stairs and and stopped that that would play so differently yeah absolutely and chastised them the way that she I mean is she like, she I mean, calls she them rapists doesn't she yeah yeah like yeah, she, she says it like it is they're not even really insinuating anymore about what was happening in that in that like huddle up over her they are directly called out and and have you know they feel bad or whatever but they should feel bad and they do it in a way that it's like <laughs> they, yeah so so good this movie's very good garrett i think that's what we're trying to say i think so too and then i i all just briefly the last gesture of the film of the jets and the sharks side by side carrying tony's body like mm. pallbearer style back into docks as maria follows and the camera comes up and cranes through a fire escape, looking down at them all, trapped and framed in their prison bars um, in the West Side, but also, you know, most iconic part of West Side Story, mm-hmm. that fire escape sequence. And like, there's like 15 different <laughs> layers to that final shot, and it's also executed incredibly well because you have to have the camera craning through all of this metalwork and framing the different characters at different moments. Mm. So the choreography of the crane movement and and the people on the ground has to line up exactly so that they're framed exactly through whatever bar that they need to be framed at at any given moment. All while still in motion, all independently huddled together in groups and, you know, moving forward and to the side at the same time. It's it's very well done. I again, I want to rewatch this movie Mostly because of how distracted I was at how good it was, I guess, is almost the way to say that. I was like, I couldn't focus on everything because I was just so jaw-dropped. So I I think I need need a rewatch for sure. Completely agree. Let's do that sometime. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll throw that bad boy on again together, you and I. Don't you worry about that. I mean, that's something also that we could just throw on and be like, yeah, let's let's hang out and like we're just <laughs> chatting and like West Side Story is also here and then we'll stop talking because we just get <laughs> Yeah, no conversations would happen because every 10 minutes we would just like accidentally catch out of the corner of our eye like the most beautiful thing we've never noticed about that movie and just get, again, just stunned. Oh, uh, something's coming. It's it starting. I guess we better watch that. Um, <laughs> and then we're just silent for an hour and a half. The Tonight Quint- uh, Quartet. 
also, we didn't even talk about that sequence, but oh man. Um, oh, dude. With the Jets and. Oh, it's a quintet, <laughs> I guess, because it's the Jets and the Sharks and, and Maria, Maria and Tony and, and Anita. God, yeah. Ugh, so good. This is like a double pod. We need to, like, do it part two or something. I really. I, I think we might need to. If, Please uh, tweet us, comment, any other form of social media. Let us know if you would listen to a part two of West Side Story, if we've just talked enough about it, and Seamus <laughs> and I will just record our own part two that only we listen to. We'll just send it back and forth until we hate each other. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're, we're pretty close, I think, <laughs> on that one. Oh, All right. Uh, let's do our pop culture reference, though, because we, could, we have to cut it off somewhere. <laughs> yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about United Artists. United Artists was founded in 1919 by D.W. Griffith, Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford, and Douglas Fairbanks as a production and distribution company that was financially independent from the commercial studios, allowing actors to protect their own interests and maintain greater creative freedom. By the end of the 1930s, D.W. Griffith had left UA, good riddance, Though powerful Hollywood creatives such as Walt Disney and David O. Selznick collaborated with UA to distribute their independently produced films. This core group, along with additional power players like Orson Welles, would also found the Society of Independent Motion Picture Producers, or SIMP, in 1941. SIMP was largely responsible for the Supreme Court's Paramount decision, an antitrust law that forced studios to sell their theater chains. For much of United Artists' lifetime, the company would function more as a distributor for independently produced films than a production company in its own right, though they did continue to produce films into the early 2000s. In 1982, MGM and UA merged and continued to create subsidiaries focused on television, movie classics, and home entertainment sectors. Further power shifts throughout the 1990s and early 2000s landed UA as a specialty art house film studio under the umbrella of MGM Studios, mostly acting as a distribution arm and little else. With the very recent acquisition of MGM Studios by Amazon, the future of United Artists and the influence of another major shift in its position to produce art house films is uncertain. I feel like United Artists is something that is not really being discussed as a casualty of the MGM acquisition right now, just because obviously MGM for 40 years has owned United Artists, so that's nothing new. It's been swallowed up already by a studio, right? But I think that this is something to talk about because it's such a rich textured part of film history i mean can you get more synonymous with the early days of cinema whether you should be able to or not than the names dw griffith charlie chaplin mary pickford and douglas fairbanks i know and it's it's just such a weird sour idea that i mean like like you said it's been you know restructured and chopped up and you know bought and sold so many times over the last century and now it's just like such a weird stamp of ultimate corporate conglomeration to just have Amazon be the new parent company of it, technically. Especially when, as we mentioned, the founders of, like, with the exception of D.W. Griffith, of course, the founders of United Artists were also huge antitrust people, and yeah. then the idea that their company is now owned by Amazon, the biggest company in the world. It's truly kind of sickening to think about, especially when Amazon starts churning out their attempts at what they would consider art films with, uh, I mean, possible United Artists um, tag on it to try to sell it a little farther in a more serious view of what their, you know, movie productions have been through the last couple of years. I mean, there are, I think Amazon's made some great films. It's not to say that Amazon can't make good quality 
filmmaking. It's just that it's frustrating to see it all. Yeah, it's like the the uncomfortable irony of them yeah. when they slap a UA sticker on the front of whatever movie they're going to put out. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, maybe this is a step in the direction of a weird wave of incredibly produced and funded art house films, but I guess I can only hope for something like that to ease the the wailing ghosts of of Charlie Chaplin and ah no D W Griffith can can roll in his grave, but everyone yeah, else yeah I'm fine. I mean he'd probably be an Amazon boy honestly he likes exploiting workers yeah that's something he's a fan of that's a historical fact. <laughs> <laughs> But UA, I mean, I always get a little a little tickled when I see a UA logo before a movie. You know, even though most of the time it just means they were distributors on mm. on a lot of Billy Wilder films, some of my favorites, like some like it hot in the apartment, or even more recently, um, when I went to go see Licorice Pizza, there was a United Artists logo before that, and I was like, yes, it's my boys, they're back. <laughs> Not UDW Griffith, but the other no, ones. No, the other ones, the other ones. But yeah, hopefully, I mean, as Many good things as I'm hearing about Licorice Pizza. Hopefully they can keep that kind of level of quality attached to that uh, UA name. But only time will tell, and only Amazon's greed will distort this further. So we'll see. Truly. But should we move on to our Save the Rec Center? Let's do it. Now it's time to Save the Rec Center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. Garrett, what do you got this week? I'm going to recommend something that we actually almost covered for the show, Seamus, and then oh? didn't. We we had to kind of truncate our schedule here, and so we ended up losing a week where we were going to cover the new paranoia thriller on HBO Max from acclaimed director Steven Soderbergh, Kimmy. And let me tell you, I checked it out, and it is a, it is a, it is a great time. You and I have been talking about how the 70s paranoia thriller needs to make a comeback in the modern era because we have so much to be Mm. alienated about and paranoid about again. And all of those ideas that you and I have bounced around, uh, clearly Soderbergh's got got rattling around in his cell phone of a brain. And... I don't mean that derogatorily. I that's a reference to the fact that that Soderbergh for a long time was shooting movies on phones. For anybody who doesn't know about that, he's he's kicked that habit now. Thank goodness. <laughs> good, but, good. Uh, the story follows Zoe Kravitz, who is a data analyst, like a like a stream analyst for a Siri esque. Amazon Echo-esque device named Kimmy that is a smart home device that you talk to. Uh, She hears a crime committed on a data stream blowout style. That's awesome. And goes to begin to unravel the cover-up that must have been happening for it to kind of slip through the cracks. She is really great in it because she's, for most of the movie, she's the only person that you're with mm. because it's a lot of it's set in her apartment. It's the film that I've seen that best handles the pandemic because it's set during the pandemic. It's not necessarily strictly about that, obviously, as the plot would imply, but she goes out and she wears a mask and she goes to off and there are people wearing masks and not wearing masks and the pandemic plays into the paranoia of it it plays into the fear factor of it all but it doesn't overwhelm the story and i think that's a really impressive inclusion so i very much recommend checking out kimmy i'm a big soderbergh fan i always have been and i think this is a worthwhile addition to his filmography well, that sounds fantastic. I, I definitely, I remember I read the little uh, synopsis of Kimmy when we were thinking about it, and 
it sounded really cool, and I liked the idea of it all, but I, just hearing all those, you know, inter- interesting details about how they fold that kind of stuff into the story and, you know, COVID in general being a part of it without suffocating it like I was so fearful of uh, when I was thinking back in the day about, back in the day, the start of COVID? How long ago was that? I don't know. Two years? Yeah, that's back in the day. Yeah, Sure. sure. About, like, how it was going to, you know, make movies weird when they mentioned it. But, I mean, that's I think that's a really cool thing that they're playing with there. And I'm definitely going to check this out, again, because it's just streaming already. So, that, that's dope. I mean, it's not a perfect film by any means, but I think it's really fun. It's also, like, 90 minutes. Oh. Which is really nice. Dope. It's a nice title. Wow. 90. Whoa. When is the last time a new movie came out that was that short? Soderbergh loves us, Seamus. He loves us. He said, "Here, a treat for you." He said, "Surprise he a drop." Kiss on the forehead. Yeah, truly. Goodness God. All right, I'm gonna check that out for sure. But what do you have this week, Seamus? Well, it turns out it's Zoe Kravitz week on Pop Culture Reference because, as I mentioned before, I saw the Batman and I can't stop thinking about it, Garrett. It was incredible. It was unlike any superhero movie I've seen since, like, I guess maybe The Dark Knight, which really rocked me when I was, like, 13 or however old I was when that came out. But it's incredibly acted. You were like 10 when The Dark Knight came out, by the way, just so you know. What? That can't possibly be true. You were a a sweet, small child. Just watching... elementary school. Yeah, I was watching faces get sliced like three times in a row. I saw that movie. It was great. But this new one is... It's brutal. It's emotional as hell. I think Robert Pattinson is an actual acting legend. It took me a while to realize it, but he is just so good uh the chemistry that him and zoe kravitz have on screen is more than i've ever seen a batman and a Catwoman have on screen together it's it's what did you just say about batman returns Seamus? listen listen there's nothing wrong with them in batman returns but it's just so it you'll you'll have to see it gary you must see it so i can talk in more detail with you about it but i i think that there's a lot of swings that matt reeves takes that he absolutely connects with like it is there's a few that maybe they don't connect all the way but overall i thought this movie was fantastic and uh it is also really fun to be in a movie theater and be like oh i've stood at that brown line l stop in the loop just watching a savage beating go down by by batman it's it's very fun and like I mentioned before, if you uh, Garrett, I know you'll enjoy this if you like that weird late night Chicago orange hue on every single thing. It's it's really aesthetically pleasing to me. I I'm glad. I mean, I would rather movies like The Batman and Once and Last Night in Soho come in with like their one color color palette that's super vibrant <laughs> yeah. than whatever we're getting from most other movies. So I think that I'm I'm really excited to see it. I've been wanting to see it trying to negotiate a time to see it it's not it's not been really working out for me thus far but i'm definitely gonna get on it as soon as i can dude i'm telling you you will not be disappointed and I, and there is a thing that happens a very specific thing that happens towards the end that i need your take on because i, I i'm struggling oh, with how i feel about it a little that's bit. that's interesting i'm excited was it <laughs> is it something i would have grabbed your arm in the theater about seamus maybe it, it it's it's interesting it's halfway between an arm grab and a whispered oh jesus so like i don't know (laughs) it's weird i need i need you to see it so you can you can tell me about it i will definitely i will definitely look into that awesome but 
That wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show on social media, you can find us at, at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can find us on Facebook. Like us there. Email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Uh, we're on YouTube. Wherever you're listening to the show, please go ahead and give us a thumbs up, a rating, a like, a favorite, a comment, a review. Any kind of engagement that you can do really helps the show out. We really, really appreciate it when you do that stuff. Next week, we're going to be talking about what I believe is an undetermined Oscar nominee, Best Picture nominee. What Right now, I think we're at Nightmare Alley. Seamus, how are you feeling about that? I, I have been very interested in Nightmare Alley. I've heard a lot of fun things about it, and I mean, I just like the spooky vibe I'm getting from it, so that might be the move. You have a piece of paper that says you've seen old movies. Have you seen the original Nightmare Alley? I did not know this was a remake. Cool. Ooh, great. Gotta get I... my card revoked. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> They're taking the diploma back. <laughs> no! I haven't either. I have no. I have very little awareness of it as a concept. So I think that'll oh, be sweet. interesting for us to, yeah, to go I, into. Yeah, I think going in cold with a weirdo Del Toro movie is the best way to go anyway. So I think yeah. we're safe here. Yeah, that sounds fun to me. And that one's probably not going to win Best Picture. No no offense to Guillermo Del Toro, a man who has won Best Picture before. I was going to um, say. But I just feel, I feel like there are other contenders in the game. So I feel, I f- I'm feeling good about us covering that when we probably won't end up covering it the week after the Oscars. Yeah, I'm down. And then again, it could just absolutely be a sleeper that we don't expect to sweep us off our feet, just like West Side Story, but I can't imagine it's going to be as good. But we'll we'll see. We'll see. I'm reserving my judgments. Me too. And I mean, cast is great, and I love Guillermo del Toro, so I'm I'm excited about it. Hell yeah. Me too, dude. But until then, uh, we'll see you next week. Adios, amigos.